Hello and welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. I'm your friendly neighborhood forensic toxicologist, Kevin, and it's been a while, really, since we've last talked. So I, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're staying warm inside. It's getting colder out. I uh, hope you're getting ready for the holiday celebrations. That is, if you partake in those holiday celebrations. If not, I still wish you prosperous times. In some recent sad news, remember uh, Medina Spirit, the horse that we talked about in episode 15 of the ToxCast, the horse that was caught up in the Bob Baffert and Betamethasone doping scandal? Well, it looks like Medina Spirit has passed away. So, rest well, Medina Spirit, rest well. On a more happier note, I think it's time to get to the show. It's episode 19 of the ToxCast, and like I said, the holidays are here. I wanted to do a brief episode that was holiday-themed, and I thought, well, what could I talk about? And then it popped in my head, because there's something pretty relevant out there. Let's talk about mistletoe, briefly. Specifically, is mistletoe toxic, or is it deadly? Because there is a lot of conflicting information out there on this topic. Heck, I even have a Christmas-related t-shirt that says, Mistletoe is toxic. And so, mistletoe seems to have this legendary reputation. But does it really deserve that reputation? So, again, I think we've all heard of mistletoe, or at least I believe we have, but what exactly is mistletoe? The term mistletoe originally referred to a species native to Europe and Asia. Uh, it's named as Viscum album, but over time, that name mistletoe has expanded to include plants in the, in the order Santa Alice. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm gonna, that's how I'm saying it. That order of plants consists of over 1,400 different species. So mistletoes attach to the host tree or shrub through a modified root system called a hostorium. Or basically it's a structure through which they extract water and nutrients. Uh, so this actually this makes them a parasitic plant. And to be technical, they are considered an obligate hemiparasitic plant. So obligate means that the parasite cannot complete its life cycle on its own without the host. And hemiparasitic means that it lives as a parasite under natural conditions. But it remains photosynthetic to some degree and can produce its own nutrients at some point in its life cycle. And this is in direct opposition to holoparasitic which means a plant that derives all of its fixed carbon from the host plant. So again, mistletoe is a hemiparasitic plant. In the United States, we are most familiar with uh, Phorodendron leucarpum, which is called the American or Eastern mistletoe. It looks pretty similar to the European variety, but it has a shorter, broader leaf and it has larger clusters of berries. So the European variety has clusters of about two to six berries typically, but the American version has clusters of 10 or more berries. American mistletoe can be found in the wild across the United States from New Jersey all the way down to Florida, as far west as Texas. It can be found infecting greater than 50 different species of trees, including common trees like 
ash and oak and maple and elm and walnut and willow trees. And the plant is a staple around the holidays, especially Christmas. But why? Why is that? Well, it turns out mistletoe has a long history in mythology and folklore. In Norse mythology, Odin's son Baldur was prophesied to die, and his mother Frigg went to all of the animals and plants of the world to secure an oath that they would not harm him. But Frigg did not consult with mistletoe. So Loki, you know Loki, made an arrow from the plant and saw that it was used to kill Baldur. In some versions, Baldur is resurrected and Frigg declared mistletoe a symbol of love, aka not hate, and vowed to plant a kiss on all of those who passed beneath it. If you look back at ancient Greek mythology, it's thought that the golden bough that allowed Anus to travel to the underworld was mistletoe. The Roman, Pliny the Elder, wrote that it could be used for epilepsy, ulcers, and poison. The plant also played a role in the Celtic mythology in the first century AD. So during the rituals of oak and mistletoe, Celtic druids would climb a sacred oak tree, use a golden sickle to remove mistletoe. Then that mistletoe was used to make an elixir that was believed to cure infertility and act as a poison antidote. And this, this elixir was administered to both humans and animals. In Austria, mistletoe was placed in the beds of, of men and women to encourage conception. In Japan, the Ainu would use mistletoe on their fields to ensure a good crop yield. Welsh farmers believed that a good mistletoe yield for the year would mean that they would have good farm crop yields the next year. So, again, you have found that mistletoe has a long history in mythology and folklore. But why do we kiss under the mistletoe at Christmas? I mean, you have the, the Norse mythology legend that we just talked about, but other than that, no one really knows. But its association with fertility and vitality continued to promulgate, and by the 1700s, it became widely instilled in Christmas tradition. The first modern reference to the act comes from the song Two for One in 1784. It, and it's also said that Washington Irving was responsible for the popularization in the United States due to his publishing in the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent, he wrote about traditions around Christmas that he observed in England, which included kissing under the mistletoe. He wrote, quote, The mistletoe is still hung up in farmhouses and kitchens at Christmas, and the young men have privilege of kissing the girls under it plucking each time a berry from the bush. When the berries are all plucked, the privilege ceases, end quote. In other traditions, men were allowed to steal a kiss from a woman caught standing under the plant, and then refusing that kiss would be viewed as bad luck. So, we've seen it in legend, we've seen it in myth, we've seen it in folklore, we've seen it in history. Mistletoe is commonly seen as a plant in holiday traditions around Christmas time. But what about it, if anything, is toxic? Because there are stories, and you see this year in and year out, there are warnings from poison control centers, there are um, uh, public service announcements that mistletoe can be toxic. 
So mistletoes themselves, the plants, do contain compounds called viscotoxin and phorotoxin. Those are peptide-based substances that can act as hemolytics. They can depolarize skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle cell membranes. Uh, but not much more is known about their mechanism of action. So consuming these plants would be hazardous to potentially fatal, right? I mean, if, if you've got something that could act as a hemolytic or can depolarize skeletal muscle or cardiac muscle cell membranes, uh, that could potentially be hazardous. And honestly, not really. And as always, I'll preface this with this, with the dose and the type of exposure always makes the poison. The dose makes the poison. Hence the name of this podcast, Dose Makes the Poison the Toxcast. There are papers and studies published on this. We have data. We have cases. We, have, we do have some data on this, which is what we scientists love to see. We love to see data. We love to see scientific papers. So a study on viscotoxin and fluorotoxin was published by Roselle and Samuelson in Toxicon in 1966. They showed that both viscotoxin and fluorotoxin produce reflex bradycardia, uh, negative inotropic effects on the heart, and in high doses, vasoconstriction of blood vessels. Later on, about 20 years later, in a review in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, published in 86 by Hall et al., uh, they detailed 14 cases of actual mistletoe exposure or ingestion. 11 people ingested berries, approximately 1 to 3, and 3 people ingested leaves, about 1 to 2 leaves. And none of those people had any symptoms. They were not symptomatic. 9 people were observed at home without any sort of intervention. Five people had induced emesis or vomiting. And the authors during this study, they also reviewed 318 cases of ingestion reported to the Food and Drug Administration Poison Control System between 1978 and 1983 and the American Association of Poison Control Centers system in 1984. And the majority of people exposed in those cases remained asymptomatic. Zero deaths were re recorded. One study published in 1996 in the Journal of Toxicology and Clinical Toxicology by Spiller et al. detailed 92 human exposure cases. 14 of those were symptomatic. 11 of those 14 were related to the exposure of fluorotoxin, specifically. So symptoms included gastrointestinal upset, drowsiness, eye irritation, ataxia, and there was one case of seizure. Amounts of the plant ingested in this study ranged from a single berry or leaf up to greater than 20 berries or 5 leaves. Another study from 1997 in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine by Krenzelik et al. showed there were no cases of major symptoms in 1,754 cases of exposure to the plant. Only a small percentage of those exposed people even had moderate symptoms, and a few cases had minor symptoms. The majority, which is 99.2% of exposed people, reported no symptoms from mistletoe exposure, and no fatalities were documented. So, are there really stories? Are there actual stories of toxicity? Are there actual stories of death? No. No, there really is not. Not really. 
And while there have been some more severe symptoms reported, such as reflex bradycardia, vasoconstriction, uh, the authors in the referenced human studies and exposures in, that we just talked about concluded that mistletoe ingestion is not associated with profound toxicity or fatality. And the commonly reported symptoms of exposure are pretty benign. Diarrhea, upset stomach, GI distress, abdominal pain, nausea, and in some cases, blurred vision. So pretty, pretty benign. But regardless, the dose makes the poison, as we like to say. So please do keep the plant out of reach of children and pets. and Because while it may not cause any serious outcomes, kids and animals are weird, number one. They do weird things, a lot. And I bet that little Tommy or Susie or old Fido would not appreciate having their holidays interrupted by an upset stomach or diarrhea from accidentally ingesting the plant. And as a side note, I may just have to retire my mistletoe as toxic t-shirt because that's not really accurate. So, I'd like to wish you a happy holiday. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. I hope you have a fantastic holiday, every single one of you. If you're in a cold, colder climate like I am, stay warm out there. Um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Um, I'll be back to a regular release schedule with at least one episode per month for 2022. I've got some great, great, awesome guests lined up to speak with me from every walk about toxicology field, even adjacent fields like analytical chemistry, pharmacological research, drug journalism, medical toxicology. Uh, it's, 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 it's a very exciting time for the ToxCast, I think. Uh, if you like this show, check me out on Twitter at, at ToxCast, T-O-X-C-A-S-T, on Facebook at the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. I've also set up, a, this is this is new, I've also set up a website for the podcast um, at dosemakesthepoison.com. So I have a brand new website, dosemakesthepoison.com. Um, please visit it. It's it's going to be a central hub for the ToxCast plus a blog that I'm setting up as a companion to the podcast. Also, you'll find there a, a shop that I'm calling little shop of stuff. I, it's, it's, I've begun designing science-related merchandise in a threadless shop. So please visit it if you like any of the designs. Um, even if you don't want to purchase any, anything, I'll take feedback. I take constructive feedback. I love feedback uh, regarding designs, what you'd like to see, what you don't like to see. Are they terrible? Are they, are they really cool? Um, because I'm a, I'm a noob at this. I am a novice at this. I don't really know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm having fun doing it. And the link to the store can be found on the dosemakesthepoison.com websites. So again, I will see you again at the beginning of the new year. Remember that new regular episodes drop in 2022. And yes, I said regular episodes. The first new episode will drop in the first two weeks of January. So until next time, always remember to never practice toxicology in a vacuum.